What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hadfield. Joining me this week are Tina Amini. Hi, everybody. Just Justin Davis. Scoop. And Sam Claiborne. Hey, everybody. And we've got a great show for you this week. We're going to discuss kind of a philosophical question about video game credits and whether we watch them, whether we should watch them. Uh, we'll share what we've been playing, which for my part has been Blaster Master Zero Three, and multiple people have been asking me why I have why we didn't talk about it last week. I could talk about it this week. Finally got around to downloading that one. But first, uh, we begin this week with um, just more impressive sales numbers for the Nintendo Switch. With 89 million units sold, the Nintendo Ooh. Switch has now outsold the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3, which is a little insane to me. It's now the number five best-selling home console of all time. On is track, that, on track is to pass it, the Wii. Is it a home console? Well, yeah, there's, there's your stat weirdness, because at the time, the Xbox was competing with, you know, the DS and then the 3DS, so. Yeah. Um, it's all in one now. But yeah, if you, I, you know, I think we can compare it to other home consoles. It's just, it's insane to me. They're on track to pass the Wii within, by like March of next year, basically. Which the, I, Wii, the Wii was such a story of like, it's in retirement yes, homes and exactly. it's taken over the entire <laughs> world. It's this international success. And like, people do talk about the Switch that way somewhat, but I don't really think it gets the same credit that the Wii got. And yet it's going to end up being the bigger console. Yeah, it's surprising to me. Uh, it's like you say, I, I, uh, we've known the Switch has been selling. It's been the best-selling console in the U.S. for the past 36 months. But it, it hasn't been like the cultural phenomenon that the Wii was, like you were just saying, Justin. So I don't know. Tina, were you surprised uh, by how quickly the Switch is reaching this milestone? Um, not quite. I, I think I'm, it's, it's already slated to surpass the Wii, which makes so much more sense to me. I think it's crazy when you look back at the numbers, like the Wii is at around 101 million units, um, with the Switch at 89. So it's, it's already like slated to, especially because of the upcoming, uh, holiday season and whatnot. They're projecting that it's rapidly be reaching the Wii, but I just feel like the technology is so much more advanced nowadays that the same appeal of some of that, like, cool, um, and like riding off of the Nintendo brand, but cool, uh, you know, built new abilities and some of that technology that people were really interested in when it came to Wii Sports should kind of translate over. And we still see like Nintendo is still such a brand name, like such a mainstream name for people that we still see like the, the Nintendo Switch getting referenced in, in shows and movies and whatnot. So I think that mm-hmm. that's a good indicator that it's a uh, it's right on the heels of the Wii. And I would be surprised if it didn't overpass it soon. Yeah. Like like Nintendo uh, says, they're going to pass it uh, by the end of their fiscal year, which is March of next year. Um, Sam, it's, I just feel like th- that generation, the 360 and the PS3 generation, that was like a, such a great time for gaming and for games. And I feel like there was a lot of growth back then. So I think that's why I'm surprised to hear that the Switch has, has already outsold both the 360 and PS3. But sort of wh- where do you come down on all this? Well, you got to remember uh, that... Um there's two circles of audiences that are now being combined in one with Nintendo. And they always had the Pokemon, you know, handheld players, like I was talking about earlier. And then the Wii was this big separate thing that really didn't have a lot of crossover with their handheld at the time. Had two different audiences. So like, really, I bet Nintendo wished they had two different consoles that were doing, you know, better and almost as good as other systems. But instead, they just have one now, right? So they can push it harder. Now, I also add that as a cultural phenomenon, We've talked about this here before. Animal Crossing was the biggest game of the pandemic. 
and it was the biggest game last year and the most talked about thing since I think Fortnite. I think it was a cultural huge thing. And what was important about Animal Crossing is that Wii Sports was fun for a couple weeks and everybody was into it. Animal Crossing was fun for a lot longer and it was hard to get. And then more people got into it. Like it's just a lot longer of an experience to kind of uh, hype up the, uh, the switch on its own. Mm-hmm. We, you know, Sam's right about the DS and 3DS. I mean, the, the Switch is overwhelmingly successful in Nintendo. They've never been more profitable. The company is doing fine. But, like, they do have to hang their hat on this, like, one thing now. And all their development teams are able to support this single console. Um, You know, games coming out this fall, like, while you're wearing Metroid, I think they look really, really good. So this isn't, like, a knock against them. But in a different world, those would have been, like, handheld games, right? They would have been, like, DS games or 3DS games. But now since Nintendo only has this one console, it's like all of their efforts, like we're getting both barrels of Nintendo all focused on the switch. It's kind of cool. Um, but, uh, but it, it does mean that like, gosh, what a gamble that, that, that they took with it. Yeah. And sure. I, and, and then it makes me wonder where, you know, where that company goes from here. I, I'm always, the, the farther we get into the switch's lifespan, like eventually sales will peter out. It's like, what does Nintendo look like in three years or four years from now? I'm so fascinated by that. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth noting that uh, all that 89 million in sales is all just, you know, you know, the, basically the launch model of the Switch. There's also the light also, but there, there's no difference in power there. There hasn't been a, a mid-generation upgrade yet, which, which is my point. So people aren't really double dipping on their Switches like maybe they did with their PlayStation 4. Well, you're talking about the OLED is coming out. The OLED is coming up, yeah. But, you know, yeah. Switch, switch light. Yeah. Is anybody going, is on, going for the OLED here? Not I'm I. Not. I nope. wasn't able to get one. Not and then for I, us. I didn't regret it. Yeah. If we're looking at uh, the Switch's path for home consoles, who it's gonna, who, who it still has to overtake. The next step would be the Wii, uh, which Tina was saying is about one hundred and one point five million sold. Then the original PlayStation, which is very close, <laughs> one hundred and two point five million. Then the PlayStation Four, one hundred and sixteen million sold. Ooh. Absolutely insane for that console. And then the the PlayStation 2, which is probably impossible for any console to catch up to ever with 155 million 155. units sold. Wow. Yeah. So the Switch the Switch has a credible path to being number two, probably. Yeah, it has, yep. to, beat 100, it has to beat the PlayStation 4. Yeah, I mean, if they well, don't chop off the its chip legs. shortage isn't a thing again. No yeah, kidding. yeah. Yeah, as long as, you know, again, depending on what Nintendo's planning, like if they let it sort of extend out the normal console life cycle, like, yeah, I think the Switch will end up being the number two bestseller of all time. Crazy. Nintendo's such an interesting company to follow. I guess uh, let's call it. their next console the Switch also, and then they just lump all those sales and not change it too much. Stick with it. <laughs> like, yeah, iPhone. like iPhone. Like iPhone. Let's share what we've been playing. Who would like to go first? Tina, have you been playing something? No, not at all. I have been playing the game of life. <laughs> um, so skip me. <laughs> I haven't gotten to okay. anything after Legendary Edition. Took a little break. Sam, I know you were traveling recently. Yeah, I, I got back into Breath of the Wild. I feel super guilty about it. I was <laughs> Why gonna... would you feel guilty? <laughs> Well, you know, it's I guess it's a guilty pleasure. I I um I started playing um master mode um a while ago and then I was like, okay, I have some really long plane flights ahead of me and and that that was really great. But what I did do that was new was that I brought um 
Labo, the first kit for Labo, on the plane to another country uh, to play with my nephew, who is now, I, I presumed, of Labo age. He's like between five and six. Uh, he's also an avid fisher and busted out the little fishing game in there. Uh, had his dad help put it together. Super, super huge hit. Just massive hit. We actually went fishing twice and then came straight back and played Labo fishing with the fishing pole. And he was like, he's so, he's a little tiny kid. He knows a lot about fishing. And so like, you know, he's just in there, like automatically doing like the, the moves for like pulling the hook and everything. And I was like, this is what Labo was meant to be all about. And it was really fun. And it was a great family experience. And I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are complicated too. Like it did require adults. Yeah. For a six year. Yeah. A little bit. Of yeah. Six-year. And then are you, are you making progress in uh, master mode on Breath of the Wild? Yeah, I mean, all I do is grind because I'm trying to make it so I don't get instantly killed by everything. I'm also trying to not die. Or sorry, I'm not trying to not kill anything because then everything levels up. So basically mm. I'm running, hiding, stealthing, and then doing shrines. It's just an, it's just it. like playing like a crazy person. It's just really, really strange. And of course, I can't do any of the main goals until I have enough ways to survive. But I did get the master sword. So now I have something that doesn't break all the time. Hmm. Master mode is really, really hard. I tried to play it, you know, whenever it first came out, and then I very quickly realized it is not for me. Yeah, I can do the. Um, one of the big things I did was I, I killed a. Um, what are the big Minotaurs? Whatever the, those things are. Yeah. For some reason, it's escaping me. And then I also did the uh, the really hard trial dungeons with the um, the uh, guardians that, like, you know, it's like a very difficult test of strength or whatever. I'm able to do those now in master mode, which feels super badass. Wow. And Justin, I think you're playing magic. I'm playing a few different things, but yeah, I got, you can blame Tom Marks for getting me back into magic, the gathering arena, which, um, which I played. So there's a few different ways to play magic online. There is magic, the gathering online, which is like a very old school. Like it's the exact same thing as the paper game just you know in an online client and you can actually redeem your online cards for paper cards like it's meant to be one-to-one in that way whereas magic arena is a much more like hearthstoneized version of magic like it's uh the same game and the same rules and they actually follow the same like expansion releases so they're doing the dungeons and dragons set of cards now um and i was waiting and waiting waiting for magic arena to come to mac and come to ios and um I, I don't think it just came out. Like I think it came out like a year ago or something. But um, but I finally just downloaded it and got into it, and I am having a great time. I feel like it's a great combination of like Magic: The Gathering has real uh, labyrinthine, ridiculous, complex rule sets and interactions, and then Hearthstone is a lot more simpler and accessible. And it kind of it it strikes a good balance between the two. Um, I'm really enjoying it so far, and it's it's been pretty easy to play, and have a lot of success playing for free too, which has been nice. Is this is a game you just mentioned playing for free. Do you buy card packs also, or can you? And my further mm-hmm. follow up question is: Can you sell cards? Mm. No. So yeah, like Magic: The Gathering Online has an actual economy to it. Where, like you can you can buy and sell online, and and uh, Magic Arena is not that way. No, it's all digital. So yes, you can buy card packs but it's only digital card packs that stay within the arena sort of whatever you want to call it infrastructure and they can't arena is its own kind of self-contained thing so it is very much like hearthstone where you can spend you know one dollar a hundred dollars on card packs but they only stay in arena Hmm. um and i've been playing for free um 
I, I like to, I don't mind spending money in free to play games, but I like the challenge of like, how far can I make it playing for free? That's like a little meta game that I like to enjoy. And like, yeah. I've been having a lot of success with that so far. And, and the game kind of showers packs on you, at least in this early stage. I was going to ask. So is it like Hearthstone where you just start out with a core set of cards and you can either buy or earn more card packs? Yep. Yeah, and they have a season they have a season pass too where you're in some junk for free and then if you buy the season pass you get more the more you play. Um I also want to give a shout out to uh there's a new game from the developer of You Must Build a Boat and 10 Million called Infinity Island. It's out on the App Store now and um me and my daughter's have been playing that together and having a good time. Um after playing so many Apple Arcade games, it's weird to sort of wade back into I, I don't know, I would almost call it old school mobile gaming at this point where like the game has advertisements in it and it has in-app purchases mm-hmm. in it. I'm like, get that out of here. I'm so used to Apple Arcade, yeah. but, um, but you know, I'll play every single game that that indie developer makes. And, um, I'm really kind of hooked on it right now. Yeah, it, just mentioning it makes me want to go back and play. You must build a boat again. It's been mm-hmm. many I've never years. I've heard of that game. What is it's it? great. It's impossible to describe it, but at its <laughs> core, at its core, it's like a match three puzzle. Yeah. Uh, but you're, it's, it's kind of a quest also, and you're, you're, you're trying just, to earn enough. You're collecting things, and I don't know. <laughs> like it, is, it does kind of divide description, but yeah, Damon, you're right. Like it's, that game is match three. Infinity Island, the new game, is not. It's a very different, weird thing. Hmm. Well, let's ban that from 20 questions, because we'd never get it. Oof. That's very true. I don't know what genre I would call it. Ban it. Giving people some good ideas out there, hopefully. No, no it's not the meta. Uh, well, I also sorry. I I I I'll report back on it next week and the next time we do games or gaming. But I bowed to peer pressure and I installed and started playing Final Fantasy fourteen again oh, as well. Hmm. So um, I'm like three nights in. I think I'm like level twelve or something like. That. I have played the game before and it didn't stick. And this time I'm making like a real commitment to like I don't know. Like I'm actually gonna like work really hard to try to see if it sticks and um. If it doesn't, then I'll know that like the game's just not for me at all. But like, I think every time an expansion comes out, I give it another shot, and I'm playing on the same server as IGN people this time, and so I'm like, I'm committed to giving it a real, a real chance. I roll, I forget the races, but I made a character, the little tiny cute people. They're like, they're like little, <laughs> they're like little bunny people, and um, she's really cute, and I'm having a lot of fun. But you're actually like playing with other people. Well, I'm too low level yet, but I'm gonna try to catch up to them, and then we'll we'll go on adventures together. Got it. Cool. Keep us informed. I will. Uh, I've been playing Blaster Master Zero Three, which I like a lot, and is very similar to the previous uh, games. I, I know I've been a big proponent of Blaster Master Zero and Zero Two, so uh, these games are very, very much Dami games from any creates. So they're uh, known for amazing pixel art and old school action games. Uh, it, I think this is such an interesting case of taking an NES game that's. A little bit on the obscure side, even though it is the official game, uh, the default 20 questions answer uh, game. It's interesting to just take an old game like that and sort of explode it using uh, modern mechanics and modern practices. And it's, it's much more playable than what you know, a lot of the older NES 8-bit uh, action games are today. So it's really cool. It's also really cool, Sam, to see a game uh, open up with the Sunsoft logo today. Oh, yeah. I didn't think <laughs> about cool. that. Is that just for funsies? Is there a Sunsoft? I think there is a Sunsoft, uh, and I think they've like licensed Blaster Master out to any crates. Um, 
So anyway, this, it, it's kind of like a Metroidvania uh, game where you you have, of course, you have your tank that you're moving around in the overworld, and then you can get out of your tank with you have a little person, and you go in to do some like dungeon diving, fight monsters, find upgrades for your tank, fight bosses. It's a uh, it's very old school in that way. Uh, it's great. It's a very very satisfying gameplay loop. If I have any criticisms, it's, it's that it kind of just throws you at the very beginning, throws you into the game with not much of a recap of what happened in the last game, but it kind of expects you to have played it recently. It's been years since I played it. So I was like, well, I don't really remember who this person was or what was going on. I would say that for this type of game, there's probably a little too much story and dialogue to trying to cram in there. Lots of like planet names and character names and alien names and, and stuff that I'm not, not really interested in keeping up with all that. I kind of just want to play it this old school retro game with cool pixel art but aside from that it seems okay so far i'm only a few hours into it i recommend it but deep- don't start with this one play at least play blaster master zero two before you try to play this one let's check in with the listeners Hey, listeners. Listeners, remember, you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com, just like Matthew from Colorado Springs did. And he says, I am writing to ask a question that has formed a divide between my son and I. Uh We are both video game enthusiasts, appreciating different genres, but united in our love for the hobby. Recently, I finished A Plague Tale Innocence and watched the credits roll by. My son came by the man cave, noted what I was doing, and voiced his opinion that watching credits is stupid and a waste of time. For my part, <laughs> I feel that watching the credits at the end of a game serves two purposes. First, it is a cathartic experience for me, clearly delineating between playing the game and finishing the game. I engage in a similar ritual when watching anime with my son, forcing him to sit through the opening and closing credits of each episode. Secondly, I watch the credits as a sign of respect to the hardworking folks that produce the games I love. In my view, their efforts deserve Five minutes of my attention. Besides, I delight in finding hidden gems in the credits, such as when I finish Astro's Playroom. What is the opinion of the Goose Camp counselors on watching closing credits at the end of a video game? I'd love to hear your take on this apparently divisive issue. I think that's so spot on, um, especially the respect thing, I think is very sweet. I imagine a lot of people feel like five minutes of their time is really precious. Um, and especially in this like on-demand culture that we live in at 100% does feel that way comparatively, but you know, there's a tradition. We go to screenings at, you know, Lucasfilm in San Francisco quite often. And there's a tradition that you sit through the entire credits before anybody gets up and anyone leaves. Yeah. Well, because we've been in the pandemic for a year and a half and that hasn't (laughs) been a reality, but um, I like that. And I can see why for some people who might not be appreciative of like the scale of work that goes into it, or if they're not as in tune with the medium as like an, an, an art as a craft. Um, if they're just there for the entertainment, I can see that it's not for everybody. I personally do, especially lately, um, the older that I've gotten, uh, enjoy sitting through credits, uh, and then movies in particular. And this happens with video games. Mm. Sometimes there's like a section of the credits that you wouldn't have anticipated, like carpentry. And it's all the carpenters mm. that are being credited for whatever they've built for the, the sets and the studios and, um, the props and whatnot. And I think it's really fascinating to get a good impression of what kind of work went into it. And then you'll see like different global regions being cited and like all the localization Mm -hmm. that goes into it, all the translation that goes into it. And it really makes me think about like, wow, yeah, I didn't consider that that level of work would have gone into this particular game or that it would have been required for it. 
Um, so it's, it's just, you know, further insight into the project if you have that appreciation. And then the last thing I'll say is I completely agree about the, it being a cathartic experience too, because I like to, especially with, for narrative driven games, I really like to sit and think about everything that I've just played and what, what I feel about it. So it kind of goes hand in hand with just like watching the credits roll by as I'm processing all of it. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I agree with all of those points. It's really, really stewed. I really like looking at certain parts of credit rolls. Um, I like the music that's always at the end. So I feel like I'm always stuck to get there and i always like seeing like who the composer especially in movies when they're using pop music but games are using that a lot now right so i really like seeing like oh that was actually like a vintage track or like something that somebody composed for it i think that's really fun and then i also like seeing games get this now too uh where things are made uh, around the world uh, as uh, but specifically with film i love seeing where they're shot so i'm like oh that whole movie which takes place in london was shot in atlanta that's like <laughs> fascinating to me I think that's really funny when that happens and it's really cool. And then um, of course, interactive credits are a blast and I, they're not common. I, I don't know. Like maybe like I, I would hope teams have some input on whether you can like shoot their names or not, because maybe not everybody would be okay with that, but I do like it. Like smash brothers has that famous, like attack the credits, you know, roll at the end. And some other games have like little mm -hmm. mini games you play. And then some other games just have like Easter eggs or, you know, like fun, fun images that they show. And the uh, final thing I'll say is that it used to be that the credits in a game were the thing you were playing the game. for. Like the ending was basically like maybe two screens and credits, like thinking any Mario, Super Mario Brothers, NES game or anything like that. It's like, that's what you're getting to. So they're like Mega Man, like walk through the seasons, you know, yeah. and they'd show the credits. Like yeah. that's, that was the ending, you know? So I think a lot of people are kind of like, you know, maybe are, are are still hanging on to that that part of uh, a little bit of nostalgia about watching. Justin, how about you? Yeah, I, this has been a weird question for me because, like, a lot of my games that are my most played games and my favorite games are not really the type. They're, they're, you know, Minecraft or Stardew Valley or like I've been playing Graveyard Keeper lately or like Neko Atsume on the iPad. I'm like, do these games have credit roles? I don't really know. Maybe Minecraft does when you beat the Ender Dragon. I'm not like really sure. But um, I, I have a tendency to gravitate towards, you know, open-ended, sandboxy, creative game experiences. Like, obviously, I'm playing plenty of narrative games too. But like the credit watching or viewing experience doesn't really like stick in my mind is something that's like important to me when I'm playing a game. I, I completely agree with Sam on like, I have very vivid memories of uh, appreciating and enjoying like the lean back credits experience, even all the way up through the N64 era, like Super Mario 64. And I still know the song that plays during the credits of that game and like Ocarina of Time, like Nintendo in particular in that era of games of like, taking you through a journey of like what you just experienced um, is a really, really positive, fond memory of mine. But when it comes to modern gaming and the way that I'm interfacing with games, it's like um, I'm mostly just kind of playing them on my own terms rather than rather than point A to point B in that many narrative games at this point. Mm -hmm. I remember being shocked the first time I saw a button to skip credits, like mm -hmm. on, on lots of levels. Like one, like I felt like, oh, that feels disrespectful. And, and another, I was like, that's so convenient. And another, I was like, oh, wait, it'll just save my game that way. Because it was before, like, one of the things about letting the credits roll, especially with Ocarina of Time or something, is like, well, there's a new game plus mode that you, you're going to get to, but you have to play through it and you have to save at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. You know, so that there's like an incentive to 
watch the credits. Uh, there's one more thing about credits that I like, which is um, some studios do a list of credits for production babies. So it's just oh, yeah. all the babies that were born oh, yeah. throughout born. the production yeah. of a game. Yeah, I think that's very sweet. Well, yeah. What was the game that did? Oh, shoot. Something did production dogs or pets. Mm. Yeah, I've yeah. seen pets before. I think yeah. God of War did that. Maybe it was God of War. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, really funny. The Sony first party games stand out to me as like, as and maybe Ubisoft also as like the most credits I've ever seen. Like not, not, not adding any judgment to that in any way. It's just, I cannot believe how many people work on a major first party game, like versus a movie, right? Like, like it's more people. It's, it's incredible how many people are credited. And it's like, it's like when you watch a Marvel movie, once you get to the motion effects, you're like, whoa, this is, this is as many people as used to make, you know, a single movie doing, you know, one set of shots in this movie. But like games now, they're incredible. Those the amount of people, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. In general, I watch the credits. Um, I, I try to, although I, you know, in, in all fairness, uh, Matthew from Colorado Springs says he can give the developers five minutes of his time. But in, in all fairness, I think any, you know, AAA video game, the credits last quite a bit longer than five <laughs> minutes. I don't these know. Days. That's actually, I'm kind of interested now to see what, what credit rolls are like, or if they like try to tune them to be under a certain this needs it's to be the next evolution of how long to beat. It's like how long to watch the credits roll. <laughs> yeah. It's also a good chain. twenty good twenty questions question. Does this game have credits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Justin, apparently um Final Fantasy fourteen is the the has the longest credits of any MMO. They go oh. for like forty seven <laughs> minutes. Forty seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but then just from like a quick Google search, apparently the game with the longest credits is Mighty Number no. Nine. That la- that roll on for over oh. three hours. But you know why? Because of Kickstarter, yeah. Kickstarter backers. It must be, yeah. And it was mm-hmm. one of the early Kickstarter backers, so I'm sure there's like, you know, a hundred thousand people at five dollars or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, they can, you know, tend to stretch on for uh, quite a while now. So I appreciate when they've done more uh, to give me to look at than just a scrolling list of white text on a black background. You know, hopefully there's something a little bit more going on. They should run a. They should run like a giveaway of like somewhere in these credits is going to be like an email address and mm-hmm. send us a secret code and the first person to do it wins a hundred yeah. bucks. No, the the first person to do it is going to be within the five the you know next five seconds of release and then everyone else is screwed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, maybe the idea needs workshopping. <laughs> do you, you remember how we used to do that? Maybe you did, we did it on Game Scoop, but I, I remember when I was on NBC or hosting NBC, we'd give away on the podcast, we'd like read a number for like mm-hmm. a giveaway card or something on it. You read the beginning and the end or whatever. I wonder who won those. Yeah, we would, mm-hmm. it would be like a code for a, a PS4 game and I'd read four of the characters at the beginning of the show, four in the middle and four at the end. Mm. I mean, it must have been like that. That was so easy to game in hindsight, just like what you're saying. It's like <laughs> somebody got that <laughs> in the first, like right. they got, they, they, they knew when things showed up on iTunes, yeah. they scrubbed around. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, there's also the end credit scene be a good way to get people to stick around mm-hmm. i don't i don't generally stick around for all the movie credits but i do for every marvel movie yeah well netflix allows you or disney plus allows you to skip the credits to the it skipped credit scene you know Ooh, like, i didn't know that yeah that's a well, yeah, netflix makes it hard you have to like scramble to even watch the credits if you want to that's <laughs> so <laughs> true. yes because they're already showing On you the next, next thing and it's like wait <laughs> a minute wait <laughs> Uh, yeah, speaking of um, 
things to watch on Netflix. I I'm I've just finished season three of Castlevania, so I just have one more season. <laughs> oh, season four is so good. They're all. I will good. say I I think I think we're all pro credits and watching credits on this show, but it is a little bit cruel to make your son watch every opening and closing <laughs> credits of an anime show. It's true because those shows are 22 minutes long, and six of those minutes yes, are going to be credits. So true, <laughs> and it's not like they you know they they make them uh, unique per episode or anything. I was nope. thinking the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah, it gets uh, watch them. It gets very rote after a while. <laughs> watch it. Watch them once. Yep. Yep. Totally. Because they're once, great. And then they're when great they music performances. But yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, then when there's a new song, you have to watch it again. Every yeah. eighty episodes or so, they change it. And like the internet will tell you when it changes. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I did for One Piece, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. It's crazy. If you take out the credits and stuff out of One Piece and all the garbage out of that show, that show, <laughs> and I and I say this as a fan, but that show is like fourteen minutes long. <laughs> So we're pro credits. Um, however, I have to say myself, I'm not a fan of this, this, this modern way of saying you beat a game, saying you rolled credits. Mm. Yeah, oh, just, it's such a pet peeve of mine. And like uh, many people at IGN, you know, so like people I that like I, I like into that trap somehow. I feel yeah. like I say that now. I think part of it is like beat the game is sort of like an outdated, you know, you can play there's, there's story mode difficulties and any sort of like our language has evolved that like, Rolled credits implies that like I reached the end of the adventure in a way that like beat beat the game is maybe a little bit outdated. Remember so. Death Stranding? <laughs> you can, yeah. I think you could roll the credits three times. There was look, like credits on a beach. There look, was credits somewhere else. Look, the website isn't how long yeah, to roll credits.com. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> we should probably register that in defense. Yeah, though. yeah, hundred percent. That's the next evolution. Hey, will you make a credit roll for GameScoop? Oh, this episode? Uh, it's like yes. five people long. Um, in uh, so Lucy says because she's she's from New Zealand, spent a lot of time in Australia. They say uh, that they clocked it, they clocked the game. Mm. That's their version of mm. beat the game. Remember the British one? Uh, solved it. Oh, solved the game. <laughs> solved the game. That works for puzzle games. Yeah, it, it, and only puzzle games. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, solved it. Or like, like or like it. noir mystery games. It's to me, it's like all yeah, totally, totally all, solve the mystery. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, sit, trying to tell people it's a, it's pronounced animated GIF. It's like no, we've been doing it this one way this whole time, or let's just keep it that way. It's fine the way it is. Fucked it. This is Mike Staub from Long Island, New York. Uh, I remember you, you might remember a couple weeks ago, I said I was uh, playing the Cotton Reboot, which is uh, something I'm still enjoying. It says, I love the show. You all do amazing work. It's one of my necessary listens each week. Video Game 20 Questions is also some of the most fun to have while driving to and from work on my 40 to 60 minute commute. I wanted to write to you about the Cotton Reboot, but more specifically, the Japanese computer it appeared on. Damon had mentioned that Cotton was originally on a console called the X68000 in Japan. To clarify a bit, the Sharp X68000 or X68K, as the cool kids call it, is an amazing Japanese PC from the 80s and 90s. One of my closest friends actually has a full X68K setup, and every year we bring it to the video game convention. We run Long Island Retro Gaming Expo. We set the PC up in our museum section that's full of obscure consoles, old PCs, and Japanese imports. It's a real blast of an event, and the X68K is always one of the most sought-after items to play. It's very difficult to assemble all the parts to complete this Voltron beast, but it's an amazing in person. It looks, feels, and sounds amazing. 
for some history, game developers used to use the X68K to develop a lot of games, especially arcade games. So you can play arcade perfect versions of many classic games on this computer. If you have the right controllers, two of my favorites are Dragon Spirit and Final Fight. But the best of the X68K games that we showcase at the convention is Akumojo Dracula or Castlevania. Later released on the PSX and the Castlevania Chronicles collection. What, but what, um, I mean, what arcade version of Castlevania would that be? Well, I think, I, I don't think it is the arcade version. So which version of Cat just, cause like the original Castlevania is just an NES game or a, a Play Choice 10 game, right? So I, don't, I just don't know yeah. which Castlevania game they're talking about. I think it's just Castlevania, Castlevania. Yeah. Anyway, since this Japanese PC is amazing to play here and see, it's a rarity, but I highly suggest you try to find one and play these games. Cool. Scoop. <laughs> That's so cool. I really like it. Yeah. You'll see, um, Sam, make sure to look around at the flea market next time you go for next. Yeah, I know. I looked up XCCA a picture of, of what it looks like just so I can know. And it looks like a ridiculous PC from the 80s. <laughs> you haven't ever extreme. seen one. At, really you haven't ever seen one at California Extreme? Yeah. Well, they do have that retro game room and like, you know, there's yeah. weird stuff in there. But that convention's not really focused on that. And I've never been to like a retro game convention like he's mentioning that he uh, attends. And that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, okay, next up, this is Lewis Somerville. It says, I live in Northumberland in the United Kingdom. It says, my question for you is, are any of your favorite games the first of a particular genre you ever played? My reason for this question is that I've been playing video games since I was five years old. I'm now 29, but I always avoided RPGs. I'm not sure what exactly always put me off, but I just simply never gravitated towards them like I would pretty much every other genre. Then when Persona 5 was being advertised, it really caught my eye, and I decided to give it a go. I completed Persona 5 and then Persona 5 Royal, and Persona 5 Royal is now my favorite game of all time. Since completing Persona, I have gone on to play numerous other RPGs and JRPGs and thoroughly enjoyed pretty much all of them. So did any of your favorite games introduce you to a new genre that you now enjoy playing? Mm -hmm. You never forget your first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean... Super Metroid was probably my first Metroidvania. That's what I was going to say yeah, as well. I mean, you would have had a lot of choices at the time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, Final Fantasy One is my favorite Final Fantasy. I love it. It's just my so tough. Game at the time. It's so tough to answer this question because I was I was thinking about it. I think maybe a little differently um, because I don't know. Like you start like I, I love RPGs. I love JRPGs, but I don't necessarily mm-hmm. remember or connote one launching like the my interest in the genre so much as it just having been like a regular part of my my gaming habits and mm. interests um i imagine if there's a sports game that i really like that'll be the thing that gets me interested in it because that's maybe one of the few genres that i don't play to come <laughs> um so yeah I, I thought about it really specifically so i have a very specific maybe not answering the question answer um okay. but i thought about like left for dead is a very particular genre because you could say it's like an online multiplayer game shooter game whatever um but that kind of dynamic especially where you're taking on like the the player versus player environment is you taking on like these interesting different types of villains i really wanted to like evolve because it was sort of the follow-up to that genre and now i really want to like back for blood so i guess that counts as one and then i'd say burnout got me interested in the destroying cars in a semi-racing environment genre um and to which the follow-up would be all of the burnout games but then also split second which uh, i don't think is a commonly remembered game since it killed a studio a little bit or it didn't kill the studio, but it was like swan song. 
Yeah, split second was a Disney game. Mm-hmm. Disney Whoa. Interactive. Crazy. Yeah, it, it, why why isn't there still a car crashing genre today? It's insane. Right? I know. Yeah, I mean, I mean you get especially when you had puzzle stuff. It's like that was such a brilliant combination. And it, you could make things look amazing. You get it is different. Forza Horizon scratches a similar ish itch where it's not so much the crashing, but doing weird, silly stuff in cars mm-hmm. other than just racing races. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's good. Sure. I, like for me, I feel very validated by um, like my taste that used to be kind of weird and out there. Like Dwarf Fortress is one of my favorite games of all time has now been pulled into the mainstream and you see stuff like RimWorld and like logistics games, like conveyor belt games, like Satisfactory and Factorio and Two Points Hospital. And, you know, all these games sort of rising to the top of the PC gaming echelon at the top of the Steam charts, like sort of all other origin back to games like Dwarf Fortress. And um, that's been really gratifying and fun to see. And, um, you know, the through line of that from me is like baby gamer Justin now to to grown man adult Justin and and you have more choices than other ever for for that style of game has been really awesome and fun but uh I still think the original uh, Dwarf Fortress takes the crown for me personally so mm-hmm. I suppose that might be another example If if someone are interested in playing Dwarf Fortress for the first time is it is it <coughs> it's coming it's, Do you need to like read it like read like a primer on it first yeah, so the game is um, absolutely impossible to understand in every way. Um, but uh, it's free. You know, the game was just ran off donations for a long time and then they launched a Patreon. But here's what's interesting about that, Damon, is they're launching a Steam version that uh, actually brings... It's the same game. It's not like a, uh, a watered-down version. But instead of being like ASCII art, it's actually tile art. They're having someone make pixel art for it. So it'll have real graphics. And then they're fixing up some of the menus and some of the user interface stuff to be a little bit more understandable and less, less insane. Um, so yes, so uh, get the Steam version, and then you, as a human being, will actually be able to play Dwarf Fortress. Okay, cool. Um, and you know, it is one of those things that if you commit to it and have the wiki by your side, like you can understand it like anything else. But if I hadn't been playing that game off and on for fifteen years, like no, I, I think it would feel impossible. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite games that I mention on the show fairly often is Shadowgate. And that was my entry point to uh, point and click adventures. What's so funny? Wait, we had a great lion. perspective yeah. cat effect there because she like walked by like in the distance. Uh, it was like this little tail, and then all yeah. of a sudden it was all the it's tail. It's just a big like, puff of a tail. Yeah, I, a she, did a little, uh, she did a little. She did a little back leg yoga stretch that I was hoping would show up on camera. <laughs> that's her. That's her specialty <laughs> move. It's very cute. Anyway, just one leg games. Just the one leg. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, Shadowgate is one of my favorite games, and that was the first point and click adventure I played, which led to Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, all that good stuff. I mean, it's rare that like now I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try a new genre of game because like I have tried basically everything, and yeah. you know, I guess like a 3D Madden would feel really yeah. new to me now, or something like that. Fighting games. You know, I, I don't know. I, I sometimes I give games a shot that I wouldn't expect that are going to be great, but I wouldn't call those genres. Like, I mean, Yakuza, honestly, that came out of nowhere, and it's like, wow! Mm. It turns out that the series is amazing. Yeah. Okay, real quick question from Chris. He says, first time, long time, love the show. I think the only other content I consume more than Scoop is The Simpsons in the Office. I mean, okay. come on, that's some stiff competition, right? Good company. <laughs> says my question is directed mainly at Sam. 
I have been on the fence about getting a pinball game. Well, I would love to scoop up a traditional physical table. They're a bit on the pricey side. I've been seeing lots of digital tables out there, most notably the one from At Games. What's your take on them in general? Given that they can be 10% of the price of a physical table, would you recommend a pleb like me picking one up? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I uh, I think the virtual games are, uh, are... I would try those in console form. So I think that there's a really good use is to be made for like playing those to learn rules for pinball machines because they're really complicated and learning the rules is a really fun part of playing pinball, not just skills, right? It's learning the actual game. Like in Monster Bash, you collect all the monsters and then you uh, you have a Monster Bash you, you put on a show. Like that's the plot of that game and assembling the band is really fun and easy to learn. All the other games are much more complex than that. That's like the easiest game to learn. And so once you, you, you want to use virtual machines to do that. But... In terms of having a, a like a virtual machine to play those on, like with the buttons and you can nudge and everything, I don't think that leap is that great. Like I, I think it's just fine to play a bunch of games with a controller on your TV. And like I think pinball arcade's amazing, even though it's been retired now and now it's a uh, Zen pinball as the license for all real games. But getting real games and playing virtual pinball machines at home very fun. I don't think you need a, a machine to do that. Now, if you were interested in like a game room. And like doing something fun for like, you know, in your house to have like a, a, something that looks good. That's another reason to get a real pinball machine. They look really good. The art's really nice on them. You go back into the seventies, you can match art with like a cool retro house you have, you know, something like that. That's one reason to have them. And then if you're worried about, um, you know, cost, there's all kinds of ranges of pinball machine pricing and costs, you know, depending on, uh, how far back you go. Um, in new machines, new pinball machines, some of those are actually cheaper than old ones, by the way. So look into that. But I'd also say there's another joy to owning a pinball machine, and that's learning mechanical and electrical skills. You will be forced to use them or have a friend that you will maybe make very good friends with have to come over and fix your games a lot. They break all the time. Or if they don't break all the time, you want to keep them in really good shape so they don't break. And it's just been uh, one of my life's greatest pleasures to learn the skills involved in maintaining pinball machines. Also, gateway to pinball arcade machines maybe get a miss pac-man cocktail table or something those are always really fun oh my goodness we're getting <laughs> just the most amazing uh, framed shot here of lion and Tina. For, all, for all for all of our listeners there's some good cat action happening mm-hmm. you have to tune into this episode good cat episode <laughs> And that brings us to video game 20 questions. Our suggestion this week comes from Isaac from San Jose, California. Let the questioning begin. Good to hear from a local. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this a Nintendo game? Like, what do you like? How, what's a Nintendo game? Like made by Nintendo? Is it on a Nintendo? Which one's better? Is it on a Nintendo platform or is it developed by Nintendo? I was going a little bit thematically with the Nintendo Switch stuff. Yeah, I think it's fine to know if it's on the platform. All right, is it on a Nintendo platform? No. (laughs) Well, Well, either way. (laughs) That's really cool. Um, Is this uh, an action game, a puzzle game, or an RPG? Yes. Okay. Should I narrow it down? Go ahead. When, sure. yeah. when this game came out, was it exclusive to a console? No. Is it an RPG? No. So action or puzzle? It's almost certainly not a puzzle game. Right? 
But what if it is? Do you, do you kill stuff in this game? Um, wow, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> I don't, I, I, it's it's I probably don't it's, think so. I think it's either Puzzle Fighter or the the Witness. That's five. So wait, what was the answer? I think you actually, I, I don't think you kill things in this game. Okay, so he emphasized kill. Maybe you like take over a thing. You fight things. You beat. You knock people right, out. You knock them out. So it's like a Batman game. Yeah, it's like yak- Yakuza. Yeah. You, maybe you is that action? I guess. Around. Yeah, I suppose that's on the action side of things. I think so. Um, is it part of a series? No. So it's not Batman. Or Yakuza. It, or Yakuza. Is it 3D, does it have 3D graphics? Yes. It's a one-off. one-off. Multi-console, but not Nintendo. Trigo years? Did this game come out on a Sega console? No. So, PlayStation, Xbox. Unless it's like Turbo Graphics and NES, in which case we're toast. Uh, no, it's after. Wait, we we didn't ask. Oh yeah, three D graphics. Yeah, um, you're. Uh, if it, yeah, I think it's going to be after two thousand, but maybe after two thousand ten. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely on, uh, not definitely, but almost definitely on the PlayStation and Xbox consoles, but not Nintendo consoles. Three D action game, no sequels. There's PC and mobile and stuff. Um, or three D three D puzzle game. Is it published still- by one of the? E3, you know, press conference, that question. That's a gray area. But for the sake of this, let's say yes. Okay, so they don't do it anymore. So like Konami, maybe um, who else doesn't do? I don't know. Activision, Capcom. Activision, I don't know if they've ever done one. Yeah, they do like... Yeah, they do like presentations, but at E3, but I don't know that it counts as like a press conference style. Activision? These days, yeah, they'll have like back in the, the Activision has definitely done an E3 presentation before. They had that huge party right. that one year where Eminem was there. Uh should we go Japan US? Yes. Yeah, uh is it a game from the US? No. That's 10. Okay. So Konami, Capcom, possibly. Possibly puzzle, possibly action, one off. And hold on. You said the game, so the game's not like, okay, sorry. The game's not developed in the US. That's the question I was answering. Okay. Hmm. Do you, do you do a lot of punching, punching and kicking in this game? Hmm. I don't think that's really. Uh, I don't think that's the emphasis of this game. Hmm. What? So it's probably puzzle, or I guess it could be more on the stealth level of action. That's not that's, that's antithetical. I don't. I don't know. Um. I just can't get it. <clears throat> get anywhere near what this game is. Uh, maybe we can go protagonist wise, like you play as a human or something. Yeah, it's helpful. Do you play as a human, Damon? Yes. <laughs> Everything is a question. 
Everything's a weird about this. this yeah. It's be a very weird game. There's some, mm. You know, Lazy. yeah. We'll, we'll, there'll, be some, like, it, there'll be some interesting conversations to be had at, maybe it's at like Res, the end of this, but. Or, um, what's, or, um, super hot or something like that. Super hot. Like, really abstract. Right. Like, are you really yeah. a human? Yeah. You're more representative. Damon, is, this a, is this an artsy game? Yeah, well, that's pretty hard. That's like, can you? That's what do you mean by artsy? Also, it's definitely not super hot. So, if you were going for that direction, don't. Yeah. you don't. Nobody in Super Hot's real, are they? Isn't I don't know. Yeah, the, it's just a shooty game. So, and you certainly kill people, right? You die. Well, you, you destroy the red beings, but isn't the premise of the game that you're in a computer or something like that? Damon, what's the lore of Super Hot? Okay, then yeah, maybe it could be Matrix style. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I never played the sequel. It's on my list. Uh, oh, wait, maybe we yeah, can well, go we, the we, fantasy sci-fi so, route then. To, to address um, some previous questions, like do you kill things <laughs> and are you kicking and punching? There may be like moments of that sort of typical video game sort of action in in this game, but it's not the focus, and you're not really killing things. Okay, so it could be like Phoenix Wright or something like that. that well, that's sure. part of a series. Except, except it's either an action game or a puzzle game. But but yeah, like that sort of thing. Is this a puzzle game? No. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, it's more action. Definitely more on the more on, more on the action side. Wow. So we hit. It's a puzzle action game. Puzzly action game. All right. Maybe it's you must build a boat. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> that's kind of nice. Maybe switched it last minute. That's kind San of a, somebody from San Jose just wrote in. It's kind of a puzzly uh, action game. You're definitely killing monsters in that game. Matching three, slaying beasts. Action seems weird. I mean, maybe this is like a game where you're just like jumping around like an endless runner or something like that. Yeah, jetpack joyride, something weird. Um, punching, yeah, punching, kicking, no killing, none of that stuff. Um, is this a vehi- is this a vehicular based game? No. You're on foot. It's and it's 3D. Do we already know that? Yeah, we yeah. already knew that one. And didn't get any sequels. It's a one off. Um, is this a Damy game? Uh, no, no. Not, not, nothing against it. I don't have any hard feelings against it, but no, not a Damie game. And that's it. We have no hard feelings. All right. Yeah. We, all, we all know. We all know what a Damie game means. Mm-hmm. You know it when you see it. That's what the Supreme Court said. <laughs> um, Is this played from a first person perspective? No. Great. So you can see your character, but you're not killing stuff. What's, I'm trying to think about like non-lethal. What's a game oh. where you're running around knocking people out? And then I thought about like Metal Gear, but like or stealthing, as you didn't mention. Yeah, but then there's still plenty of killing in Metal Gear. Like, um, what's a game where you're just putting people to sleep the whole time? Something. It's not, it's not an indie game because it has something like an E3 press conference publisher. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Plan is a. He wouldn't answer my art question. 
subjective. Well, yeah. What should we ask about realistic graphics? It could be like a really cartoony polygon polygonal thing. I just I can't picture what's happening with this game. No. What was the oh, do, and we didn't get into genre at all, right? Fantasy, sci-fi. We didn't do that side of genre, no. No, it's it does seem like it's game. something, yeah. Damon. Is this a sci-fi game? No, it is not a sci-fi game. What was the human question? He, he was kind of. Do you play as a human? Question. And it's yes. yes. And he said there would be a conversation about it afterwards. <laughs> mm. That's weird for sci-fi. You did. You were like, not, you guys will talk about sci-fi. this later. Rewind the tape, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to see the category. Lots to unpack. Okay, you got two questions and a guess. Oh, wow. Well, we're bound, so. (laughs) I mean, we were onto something with the side-scrolling thing. Like, if it's an endless runner. But we know it's 3D. Right. The E3 press conference thing is interesting. I'm trying to, like, in my mind, I've been running through, like, indie showcases that like EA has held at like their press conference or that like, you know, Square Enix or um, IDOS has done in the past. I would assume it's one that doesn't do press conferences to this day. I think the key except I said, except I said yes to that question. Yes. You said for the purposes. What does that mean? Tina likes to spend a lot of time reading into Damon's reads. It's all about psychology. And it works. It works every time. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I think that the key here is probably that it's an action game where you're not killing a bunch of things. And yeah. What does that mean for an action game? Well, like I well, thought it could mean driving. I thought it could mean. Was it developed you know, in the U.S.? Yeah. Uh, no. We asked no. that question. <laughs> so where was? What about um, the game? The last game that the It Takes Two studio made. What was that one called? A Way Out. Mm-hmm. And then didn't they make one more before that? Or was a way out their first one? Joseph Ferris's studio. Can't recall. Yeah. Do, we know, do we know if it has multiplayer, if it's single player only? The game in question? No, we don't no, know. We don't know. Does this game have multiplayer? Yes. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh, what about like, what about that? What about Gang Beasts? Like Very some specific. Well, I'm just thinking about. I don't know what that is. That's the that's the physics game where you're like grabbing and throwing people over ledges and stuff like that. I'm trying to think about like goofy multiplayer experiences now. It's still 3D. Yeah. For you for your last question, <laughs> you should probably use the hack. Yeah. Have, Have we mentioned, mentioned this? this game? Yes. Uh, okay. But now we have to get it. Yeah. <laughs> what do we say? <laughs> I think it's super hot. It could, it could be because it does match the like, you're not really a human. You're not really killing things. Uh, but we asked if it's first person and the answer was no. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. What else have we mentioned? What else have we mentioned where you're not, you're like a human, but it's debatable or you're not really killing things? I mean, Res was the other one that I was thinking. Could be. Yeah, could be Res. I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't played Gang. I think it could be Gang Beasts. <laughs> That'd be very strange. That would. What else to be name dropped? Well, I don't know what Gang Beasts is, so like, wow, well, uh, you put that to Well, you also have to relate I mean, it back to the press conference thing. 
We name dropped uh, It Takes Two and we name dropped A Way Out. I guess it could be. And it has the game has mul- the game has multiplayer, well, with, which Res does not. You're obviously a human in. Another one, you're like a little squat, weird human, right? It takes two. I haven't played it yet. Same. Yeah, you're like a you're 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 like a yeah. I think you're like super deformed, basically. It can't be Res because that doesn't have multiplayer. Mm-hmm. And then it takes two had you know some kind of involvement in an E3 press conference, but there was no E3 that year, so that could be the. the oh, thing. yeah. I think that's as good a guess as any. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Do it. Is it, it takes two? It sure is. Nice. Uh, <laughs> which is just out it. this year and mm-hmm. is published, published by EA. So that's the, e, that's the E3 press conference situation. They still have a press conference, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's E3 adjacent. Right. Right. Cause they're technically like EA play individual. Yeah. And this is co-op only. There's no single player in this game. And the whole premise is that this, um, a, these married couples getting divorced and their daughter overhears it. And she goes to play with her dolls to role play them working it out. And then their souls are sort of like transported into the dolls and then this magical world. And they have to work together to get back to the real world. And it's a lot of like environmental puzzles mm-hmm. and challenges. It's the, the focus there's like, there's a lot of different type of scenarios and in, in gameplay mechanics, but it's, so there, I think there's one where you're shooting monster trees that are coming at you, but it's like, that's not the main focus of the game. So let there's me, I, no world in which we should have gotten that one. We totally, if we went with totally the years the right thing, track. yes, A, I mean, we got it so clearly, but also if we went the years direction or generation direction, yeah. it would have been far more obvious. I know. It's a I game know you can wrap. play today. We like something weird about I want to play that game with my wife, but I think I want to spoil myself on whether the couple gets divorced in the end. Yeah, <laughs> it's Before, like don't watch are... a marriage story with, with your significant yeah. other. Yeah. Like <laughs> if they if they escape and then they're like, okay, you know, we love each other, let's stay married, like cool. Or if they're yeah. like, okay, no, we're still gonna split up because I can very much see it going either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't in that know. sense, the game could be like those old school love testers in arcades, right? <laughs> maybe they all, maybe based <laughs> off your performance in the game, <laughs> it changes the end. Yeah. Oh. That's amazing. It is kind of a modern day love tester. Wow. Uh, not a damey game, huh? Uh, n- nothing uh, cooperative is really going to be a, a, a damey game these days, but it's fine. I know <laughs> the, the okay. game has, its, has lots of uh, supporters, and IGN gave it a nine. Mm-hmm. So thank you for the suggestion, Isaac from San Jose, California. Look, viewers and listeners, if you have your own suggestions for video game twenty questions, email them to me at the email address gamescoop at igen.com. That is all the scoops that we have for you this week. Thank you to Tina, thank you Sam, thank you Justin, thank you to Alan working behind the scenes making this episode possible. My name is Damon. This is IGN Gamescoop, and we're out.